Welcome to Romans Untangled, the podcast where we take a seemingly difficult book of the Bible and untangle it so that we can enjoy its beauty. Season 2, Episode 10. Shall we go on sinning because we are not under law? Romans 6, verses 15 to 23. What if there were no rules? Or even better, think of it this way, what if there were rules, but it was set up so that if you didn't follow them, there there would be no punishment for you? Would you still follow the speed limit? Would you still pay your taxes? This is exactly the question that the Apostle Paul is dealing with in our relationship to God in this episode of Romans Untangled. Thanks a lot for joining us this week. It's Pastor Steve Treichler here from Hope Community Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Happy to be with you on this upcoming beautiful spring, hopefully, <laughs> day here as we are going towards the end of March now. As we, as you've been uh, noticing, we've been starting each episode here just by going through uh, a theological concept, a theological word. The word for this week continues to be, and it will be for about uh, eight or nine weeks here, Ordu Salutis, which just means the order of salvation. And we talked about there was 10 basic elements to that. Uh, here, here there are again, election, the gospel call, regeneration or being born again, conversion, justification, adoption, sanctification, and we're going to take a little bit of a, in that process, we're also going to talk about baptism, what, what that is, perseverance or preservation, matters how you want to say it, death, and then glorification. And so this week we're going to talk about the gospel call and also the third kind of step in this order of salvation, regeneration. What does that mean? So gospel call is basically that part of our order of how we come to faith of where we basically just hear the gospel. There's the gospel proclamation. This is probably best uh, stated in Romans chapter 10, verses 12 to 15. For where it says, For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 14. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And so part of this whole process of us coming to faith is us just getting an opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know for me, there's many venues in which I heard it, but it became very clear to me in college. And that's when I responded to the gospel call. So that's the gospel call. It's the it's the 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 proclamation of the message of the gospel. The next word here we're looking at is the word regeneration, being born again, being changed. It's it's defined by uh, Brenda Collagen as regeneration is the divine action by which renew God renews the fallen creature so that it reflects His character. In other words, it's where God himself, this is an act of God, he works in our lives and makes us alive, makes us, he regenerates us. It's a process where something which was not alive, fallen creation, it now becomes alive and it reflects his character. 
few important verses here is uh, our 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. So it's we were part of old creation. We get regenerated, and now we're part of new creation. Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 5 which says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who has now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, or or some translations say children of wrath. That's old creation. That's who we were. But, verse 4 of chapter 2 of Ephesians, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we are dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. It's unbelievably beautiful, right? God reaches in there just like he did with Adam and Eve and gave them physical life, breathing, and it talks about Adam, he breathed into his nostrils and the man became alive. That happens now with us, but in a spiritual way. God breathes on us and we become spiritually alive. Titus 3.5 says, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. So for me, the doctrine or the, the concept, theological concept called doctrines, of regeneration to me is one of the most absolutely beautiful doctrines in all of Scripture. It's where God reaches in and makes this beautiful. And I remember when I started getting really excited about regeneration and and who we were in Christ and was in college. And I remember getting some books and buying books on the concept of regeneration. And the thing that really disappointed me was uh, the, the author spent very little time actually talking about the beautiful doctrine of what it actually is. They instead spent a lot of time about when does it happen? And that's the big debate, you know, the Calvinist-Arminian debate on when does it happen? Does it happen before or after conversion, right? Does God regenerate you and then you believe, or do you believe and then you get regenerated? And uh, like we've talked about in, in this uh, podcast before, that, that we do lean reform, so we would, we, would, uh, we would say that we believe regeneration happens first, but no one comes to Christ kicking and screaming. So we'll talk about that uh, when we get to uh, conversion here, uh, which is coming up, I believe, next time on, yeah, next time on uh, Romans Untangled. So we'll talk more about how that all works. But at the same time, it, it, it what bothers me about this is I, I get where there can be a bit of a, a, of a debate there, and I understand the debate. At the same time, let's not argue about where the Mona Lisa is, is uh, hanging in the Louvre. Let's just enjoy the Mona Lisa here a little bit, and then we can argue about why is it there and why is the lighting there. Actually, I've seen the Mona Lisa. It's kind of disappointing. (laughs) That's probably a bad example. But, you know, some other famous work, the David. The David is, oh, my gosh, the David in Florence uh, is is by far uh, my favorite work of art that I had a chance to see, and uh, it's better than all the pictures. It just You just can't believe it. But you could argue about how it's placed or who did it or the lighting or all this kind of thing. And, and 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 those are not unimportant things. Okay, so this is an important thing. When does it happen? And again, leaning in on the Reformed tradition or or leaning in on the way we understand Romans is that God makes us alive. 
and then we come to faith. Um, but that does not, we're not hyper-Calvinist, and that would say that um, we had no choice. We're not, we, we don't have any will whatsoever. Uh, and again, we're going to talk about that next week. But I just wanted you to be aware of these two beautiful concepts, uh, the gospel call, which is the hearing of the gospel, and then the regeneration. It's a beautiful act where God makes us alive. Okay, let's get on to Romans. We have another amazing passage this week. Uh, you know what? I, I know I, I shouldn't say this every week because it's the same thing, but it, it really is. So let me read it, and then we'll get into it. Romans fifteen, Romans 6, verses 15 to 23. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, So now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Great passage. Love it. Now, the, let, let's just uh, go, give a couple obvious things here. It, this, obviously, uh, is the middle of chapter 6, and you have to go, he, he, you know, he starts off, what then? Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? And, and that goes back to the previous section, right? If you remember, the big question in Romans 6.1 was, uh, what shall we say then? Or basically the same thing. What then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Right? If God gets more grace because uh, there's more, or excuse me, God gets more glory because uh, I have more and more sin and he forgives more and more of it, doesn't that give him more glory and therefore I should sin? That's the basic concept there. We'll, we'll kind of summarize that later on the podcast here. But, uh, and he ends this section, Romans 6, 1 to 14, by saying, for sin shall not be your master because you're not under law, but under grace. So then he says, well, wait a minute now. If we're not under law, shouldn't we go ahead and sin? That's what he's saying. So the big idea here is if getting points for following Christ or following the, 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 the ways of God, the laws of God, Christ's commands, is what, if that's your motive, you're in big trouble with the gospel. To be not under law doesn't mean that the law disappears. There are still laws. But it does mean that the consequences of you not obeying those laws have already been paid. So, and it's, it's, it's important for you to understand this, that, that on judgment day, because of your union with Christ, which we talked about last week, because of your union with Christ, you'll stand before God the Father and you will be judged on the life of Jesus. Right? And that's exactly where Paul's picking up here. So whatever he's going to say in this passage, you have to realize all of your merit, all of your works, 
All of the things that you bring to the table are going to be taken by Christ. Those which are sin, he will have paid the penalty for, and you will receive his righteousness. It's called imputation. We're going to cover that topic um, in, in a few weeks on our little theological journey here through new words. He gets it for us, all right? So so then, whatever he's saying here, he can't possibly say, be saying, you need to crank out, you need to follow the rules, or you will face consequence, punishment. Now, there's, of course, there's consequence for sin, but not punishment from God, not wrath that was stored up for us, because that's paid by Jesus Christ, right? So then, this is the kind of the untangling of the passage in a, in a kind of a big way is, what then is our motive for following God in his ways? It's not punishment. That's the gospel. The gospel says that's not it. So if you release that, it's like, whoa, uh, okay, that was kind of my motivation forever. Maybe if you, you're brand new to Jesus Christ and you've thought, well, I better not sin now because he'll get me. And I'm here to tell you, that's not how it works. He has set you free from that. There's no longer punishment. So what's your motive for following him? Gratitude, joy, and what I would call real purpose. And we're going to get into that in um, in the one as we dive into this. Let me just quote Douglas Moo as he comments on this question that even Paul asks. Uh, why, why, why would we not just go ahead and sin if we're not under law? Douglas Moo says this, those who are joined to Christ by faith live in the new age where grace, not the law of Moses, reigns. This being the case, believers' conduct is not directly regulated by the law. Under Jewish premises, such a lawless situation would be assumed to foster sin. But Paul sees in God's grace not only a liberating power, but a constraining one as well. The constraint of a willing obedience that comes from a renewed heart and mind and ultimately the impulse and the leading of God's spirit. Now, notice what he didn't say there. He didn't say, uh, it, it, it does, it, this constrains us in a sense because it's, it's taking away from our flesh it's constraining the flesh. Even the flesh will scream to do all that, all these sins away from God. It, it it moves us towards moves us towards Christ. Why? Because we have a renewed heart and mind, and we're led by the Holy Spirit. Okay. With that said, let's get into the passage. We'll kind of walk it down. If you have your Bible with you, I hope you have it open to Romans six, starting in verse fifteen. Then, are we should we sin like this? No. And this is a radical radical statement. He's saying, should we sin because there's no rules that have consequences, eternal consequences, eternal judgment. There is no, uh, there will be no punishment given to us. So then should we just go ahead and sin? He says, no. And listen to his argument here. He says, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you're slaves to the one you obey, whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. So he says, you come to a situation and you can, you have, you have, you have, he's going to use a language of slavery and he's going to say, you have masters in front of you. Which one are you going to obey? But then he makes it really clear. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of the teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. It's a kind of a wordy way of saying you used to be a slave to sin, but now you have a new master and God has changed you. He's regenerated you. He's made you different. 
You now have a new master. You're set free. This is changes the whole thing about following God from obligatory and I have to and there's punishment and there's fear to now saying I have a new master which wants for me, he, God wants for me life, liberty, joy, love, peace, right? So this this um, uh, this new allegiance that I have is this new birth, and it moves from should, I should do the things of God, to I get to, I'm set free to. I know it doesn't feel like that, obviously, otherwise Paul wouldn't write this. It's, it's, he, it's, it's difficult. And he says, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness, right? So he's saying, you've been set free from an old master and you're gonna have, you're, you're, you're slaves in essence to a new master and that master is righteousness or God, right? You're, that's who you're under. That's who your new master is, right? And to quote that old Bob Dylan song, you gotta serve somebody, right? There's something within the human heart that always wants to worship and it's gonna worship something. It's gonna worship self, sin, creation, or it's gonna go and worship God's ways, who Christ is, giving him the glory, giving him the thanks, giving him the acknowledgement, right? Uh, uh, yeah, I love that old Dylan tune. Got to serve someone. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> no more singing. Promise. Verse 19 of chapter 6. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. So what he's going to do here is he's going to use the, the example of slavery. Or he's picking up on the issue of slavery. And I know right now that's a very difficult topic to think about, especially because of the incredibly unjust ways that that was done in our country with primarily African-Americans being shipped over here and then put into slavery based on their race. And then the way that has has. Uh, that has impacted uh, basically the last 400 years of how we've interacted with people from not only African American but many minorities. We've we've not had a good understanding in our country because of that. And slavery is a huge piece to that puzzle. Uh, it's, it's obviously way different in the times of Apostle Paul. Lean. There was some slavery which was much more forced. Uh, there was some that was racial, but most of it was indentured servitude, or you were. It was much milder, so to speak, than what we have today. Uh, it wasn't good. I'm not saying it was a good thing, but he's using that so that they can understand, and that's the example. In other words, you're owned by something. You're owned by someone. So he goes on to say, just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, in other words, I felt a slavery to do this because it... I was being told this was the way of real living. And even though it didn't satisfy and didn't lead me that way, I I followed it. And now it says something's different. So now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness, right? And he goes on, verse 20. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness, right? So when I was a previous slave, uh, I, I didn't feel this other compellingness to follow God and his ways. There, there wasn't this desire Maybe I feel guilty about it, but there wasn't a desire to do that. And then he says this, what benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. Here's what he's trying to get you to do. He's trying to tell you that sin is actually the biggest lie ever. It's a counterfeit. 
It, it always is. And it says, go this way and you'll be happy. Go this way and you'll be fulfilled. Go this way and you don't need God and his laws because you can do this on your own. You can get self-actualized. You can do this by yourself. And he's saying, what benefit? At the end of the day, think about it. What satisfaction? What real joy? What real lasting purpose did you have when you were chasing after those things? And then he goes on to say, but now that you've been, when you've been set free from sin, you are, you do not have that as your master anymore. And you've become slaves of God. In other words, uh, I now am listening to my new master, but my new master is way different than my old master. My old master, ultimately the devil, wanted to destroy me and was taking me down a path of destruction. He didn't care for me. And this is where the analogy breaks down because we don't have in our mind an imagery where a person is a slave, but the, sl but the owner of the slave is actually someone who their main purpose is to help the slave completely flourish and open up like a rose and become everything they were created to be. We don't want to have an image like that in our mind. But picture that if you possibly can, and that's what Paul wants you to do. He says, but now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, which is satisfaction, which is the ways of God, which are joyful and purposeful and meaningful and life-giving. And the result is eternal life. Now, you can you might read this and you might and some people have when they get to verse 22 and they say, "Okay, wait, no, let me understand this. Let me do the logic here." He says, "I'm I've I'm changed ownership, so I'm now with God. I've been regenerated. I have been given new birth, and that leads to a change of life which leads to holiness, and that holiness then leads to eternal life." Now, that's true uh, sequentially, but it is not true logically. In other words, your eternal life does not come because of your holiness. Your eternal life comes because of your being transferred ownership to God. How do I know that for sure in this passage? Look at the last verse. Verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He would have said, the wages of sin is death, but the wages of living a good life and being holy is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He doesn't say that. The reason he doesn't say that is because it would contradict everything else he said in, the, in, in this entire chapter. He's making it really clear. Gifts are for free. You've transferred ownership. And guess what? You're not following God because of the rules anymore. You're following God because it's so sweet and you just love them and you want to serve them and you want to obey them, not as someone who has not been transformed, but as someone who is now brought into God's family and you just flat out love your dad. So let me give you an overview here as we kind of wrap up here with this episode. Uh, let me give you the, we just finished uh, all of chapter six. Let me give you an overview of how this works out. The first half of this passage, Romans 6, 1 to 14, talks about not sinning so that 
uh, grace may increase or that God would get more glory. And it gives you the, the rationale is because of our union with Christ. We've died with him, but we also live. We're new creatures. And, and his, his uh, argument here is live consistent with that new life now. So then he closes off the end of that section, Romans 6, 1 to 14, with verses 11 to 14. Again, ones to really study and think about where it talks about the four steps, I dare call them, to overcoming sin is one, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, which we've summarized as you need to say, I'm okay in Jesus. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not alive to sin. I'm okay in Christ. Two then was don't let sin reign and don't offer the parts of my body to sin. And we talked about that last week using the example of lying, right? And we said, I'm not just looking at the issue of lying, but in order to really understand how this thing has a grip on me, I have to ask myself, why do I lie? And and keep asking why, 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 until you get down to where you find where you're replacing God with something else. And the example I gave last week, we we said it was uh, that I actually view what how people view me more important than how God views me. And that's what I need to repent of and change and say, God, no, I that's idolatry. That's... I'm cha- I need to repent of that. I need to flip and I need to do number three, offer the self and parts to God. God, I right now I declare what you say about me matters more than anything else. That, that's what it does. And so lying really isn't my sin, but it was really idolatry that was my sin. And then fourth is don't use the law. Uh, and where he says, uh, for sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under the law, but under grace. Don't use the law to get out of sin because that will never happen. If you just say, I will not lie, I will not lie, I want an accountability partner, I'm going to count every time I lie, and I hope next week it's less, that's just going to wipe you out. Okay, that's, that's the first half of this, chapter 6. The second half of chapter 6 is asking a little bit different question and saying, okay, here's the deal. It, it, are, are, do you think you're just free to not to uh, to sin because there there are the rules you're not you're not going to be judged by the rules anymore so therefore if the rules don't have any teeth in them towards you then why not go ahead and sin and that's the big idea there 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 are no obligatory punishable rules for you why not just sin and here is what he's going to give you he's going to say this we just summarize this in trichler language all right number 1 because sin sucks doesn't give me life. Sin promises life and it never delivers. It takes me away from life. It, it's, it's a horrible master, right? Two, even though it might not feel like it, sin no longer owns me. I have a new master and the new master is God through Christ, through grace, through my trusting in him. That is radically different. Sin doesn't own me anymore, even though it, it, it might feel like it, but it doesn't. God does. And this new owner, number three, is not like my other owner who wanted my destruction and is this mean old ogre. This new owner actually is the one who delights in me and, and, and as it says in Zephaniah, sings over me delighting in me like a father holding his newborn grandson or granddaughter, like I've had the chance to do here in the last couple of years, that's God's affection towards me and his ways are not 
out of some deficiency or something. He wants us to follow him because he knows it'll give his children the greatest joy. And that's the only quote-unquote obligation. It's not even an obligation. I get to follow in his ways and the way of life. It is not joy-killing to follow Christ, okay? So, to use this idea here, the same one we used last time, is what's the motivation then for me to stop lying if I'm doing the same thing here that I did with the previous passage? Well, it's not because of possible punishment from God. Now, lying will have consequences on this earth, no doubt about it. You lie to people, they find out you're a liar, you're going to get uh, you know, canceled or all kinds of different things are going to happen. That's true, straight across the board. But from God, if you're in Christ and you lie... There's not an eternal consequence because Christ has paid all that. Well, then why wouldn't I lie, right? Paul says, what's he? he's going to say, because you have been set free from that. You're, you were in that trap. You were on that treadmill. It was always chasing you a certain way, but now you're set free. And the first thing we got to get through our mind is the, the difference between the law, which says to us, if I obey then I'll be accepted. And grace says, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. Now, it sounds like it's not much of a difference, (laughs) but I'm telling you, it's the way of living is unbelievably different. It is life-giving. It is joyful. It's not based on measuring up. It's based on a relationship with our living God. I commend to you, you know, we only looked at this about half an hour. I commend you, chapter six, go back through it, meditate on it, look at it, read it, claim it as true. Fight sin in your life based on Romans chapter six. We've had a great time here today. I've really enjoyed being with you. Next week, we're going to start chapter seven. He's going to keep unpacking what life looks like. Uh, as we as we uh, look at living by grace, and next week we're going to look at the first six verses in one of the most amazing parts of this section, what we're calling the marriage analogy. I encourage you, maybe read it ahead of time, look at it. We're going to have a great time. Have a great week, and we'll see you next week on Romans Untangled.